You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rico Muhammad coming to you live from the road somewhere in South Carolina. Tonight's show is going to be a little bit of a different format. Uh got into a bit of a rush trying to go pick up a load for a customer this uh, afternoon, and I left my laptop in my vehicle. So I am blind. I'm flying without a cape. But we wanted to make sure that we brought tonight's show with you. Uh, we're able to deliver the show to you guys tonight. Uh, also, we are going to be joined by transportation attorney Hank Seaton. So if you got any questions, transportation law questions, or anything like that, I have a uh, backup back at the home front. My daughter and my wife is manning the board. So you can go ahead and press number one. Get up and on board to ask your question to Hank, and we'll try and get, get to you, get your call screened, and my wife will have to interject to uh, see uh, to, to let us know that you have a question so we can get you up and on board. And with that said, uh, like I said, I don't have my laptop, so with no further ado, let's try and um, let's plug Hank in. Uh, I was just speaking with Hank. Let's see if we can get Hank up and on board with us. Okay, Hank, are you there? All right, this is what I was afraid we were going to have a little bit of an issue. Just bear with us just a second. We're going to try to work this issue out, see if we can get Hank up on board with us. Hank, are you there? Okay, we're going to see if we can't work that out, see if we can get Hank up and on board. I, I know he's on the line. We had him up there uh, a few seconds ago. I want to uh, give me, bear with me just one second, ladies and gentlemen. Rico. Hey, Rico. Hi, Hank. This is Lasagna, his wife. He's coming back on. Okay, great. We've had a hard time. Right. <laughs> getting together tonight. So you're just going to hold on okay. to me until he comes back on. He's on. I, I, I am I am back on, Hank. Uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that, everyone. We were trying to work this thing out. Like I said, we're flying kind of blind here tonight. But we got uh, Hank Seaton back up and on board with us tonight. And if you got any questions that you want to ask Hank, you can go ahead and press number one. I think we uh, kind of worked out the issues now. So, Hank, um, you want to kind of catch us up since the last time we've talked, what's been going on? regulatory news and stuff like that uh, up in D.C. that you might want to help catch us back up on? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think people that have been with us for a few months know that I've spent a large part of the last three or four months looking at this new safety fitness determination and making comments on behalf of small carriers. The comments were due on May 23rd, and I want to tell the listeners some of the things that we found out about the uh, uh, proposed new rule that you will not read in the press. Uh, 
everybody was pretty uniform in their criticism of SMS methodology. But I think we're the only people that really looked at the whole rule to see how insidious it was. The agency said that to uh, give a break to small carriers, they were going to start measuring carriers that had 11 inspections with violations. When we looked at the data they were ginning up, that still included 41% or more of the people that they would be measuring had eight or fewer trucks. So it really wasn't uh, an effort to uh, uh, to uh, catch only the large carriers. It still targeted a lot of small carriers. We conducted a study uh, uh, asking people to take polling questions. Uh, we got 600 responses, <coughs> and what the responses showed was what we expected was the case, that a large part of the problem with SMS methodology is it measures number of violations per inspection, but there really is something to this idea that inspections are profiled. You've got my dog howling in the background, folks, at uh, a fire truck. But what we found out was <laughs> that over half of the respondents said that uh, most of the time the local uh, uh, inspectors would not write good inspections. We got comments back from the fact that uh scale house guy says, I don't write no damn good inspections. If you want a good inspection, if you want, to, if you want me to write it up, let me look at that truck again. And what we think that proves is the fact that carriers with pre-pass uh, don't get looked at, seldom get looked at, and not very hard when they are. Uh, carriers that operate older equipment or haven't been inspected enough time to go in the system get looked at extra hard, and that there is really this uh, a phenomena at some particular scales to write on to write up and send in only bad inspections. We think that's one of the reasons that small carriers have almost three times more inspections per truck than large carriers and that some of these countervailing trends are really the reason that in the methodology smaller carriers score much higher in all the basics than the fleet trucks. So what we, uh, the argument we made was this system that you're running is never going to be fair to small carriers. In fact, they set the limbo bars for an unfit finding way up at the 98th percentile uh, in, in most basics and the 96th percentile in unsafe driving in HOS. And when they did that, they said, <coughs> Here's a list of 210 carriers that we would have placed out of service, and these carriers on average have two and a half times more crashes than the average carrier, so that justifies us saying that inductively we'll put them out of business. Well, we FOIA'd it and made them give us the underlying data, and it showed that almost 50% of the carriers they would place out of business were small and had no recordable wrecks. So if you think about wow. that, 
the the what they what they're really doing is they're saying we're going to peer group you based upon uh, form and manner violations on HOS, and we're not going to look at whether you've even had a wreck. But uh, there's a possibility that uh, when they release their data next month, if this were in effect, you could say here's your sign, uh, you're unfit, and uh, uh, so long, Charlie. Uh, we tried to make the argument that in this whole thing, uh, they've got to do what's called a cost-benefit analysis, and nowhere in the cost-benefit analysis did they look at the effect of putting a carrier out of business that was perfectly safe. Uh, they said, well, you know, if we put a carrier out of business, the drivers will go somewhere else, so there's not going to be any real adverse effect. And, you know, we kind of shook our head and said, do you realize that when you put a carrier out of business, the chances are that carrier, large or small, has got $100,000 tied up in, in truck payments with trucks you're sitting against the, against the fence, uh, has got uh, office people, has personally guaranteed his accounts receivable, uh, and you put him out of business with no way for him to get back in because they're doing away, they want to do away with the conditional safety rate. So I'm going to stop talking, but I, I hope that the listeners understand that there's far more hidden in that SFD than you're reading about in the press. I think that the chances of that becoming law uh, anytime in the next two years is now pretty. Uh, pretty slim and none because we got them on the run in Congress to defund the FMCSA for them even suggesting this rule. And Fox is up on the hill crawtailing around saying it'll be two years or more while they look at SMS methodology. So maybe we laid down a marker uh, and maybe we'll get a bit of a breather, but I think it's important for, uh, our listeners to understand that you're going to have to get your information to protect small carriers from some source other than transport topics. Uh, CCJ's done a good job of summarizing it, but uh, uh, it's kind of hard to get the word out. Wow. So that's really an eye-opener. So how does that um – tie back into with the old uh, mandate for the ELDs? What, what, is, there, is there any correlation to that as well, or is that still going to be on, on mm -hmm. um, they still have that on course? No, the ELD rule is going to come in, uh, I believe. There is, of course, the challenge by OIDA, but, uh, and it could win. So, and I mean, I understand their argument. I'm not fighting it. But one of the things that we pointed out is the agency says that there are two of the basics that are the greatest predictor of uh, unfit carriers, and one is HOS, and the other is uh, unsafe driving. And they're proposing to change the rules so that those two basics will be the one that'll probably pull the kill switch on most carriers. Well, we pointed out that with respect to HOS, since the vast majority of the violations are form and manner, which are only received by carriers who 
have a paper log and that people who have uh, uh, the ELD or who operate in the uh, 100-mile radius don't get those points, that if the ELD comes in, there'll be compression of scores, and there's no way for them to, uh, 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 you know, use HOS effectively uh, when all of those form and manner and last change of duty statuses go away. So, you know, on the one hand, I know that uh, the listeners probably say, I don't want to do any stinking EOD, but uh, it, uh, uh, it's going to be a rather low-cost fix to uh, the problems that we now have with keeping our HOS scores uh, reduced. Uh, I'll mention this. Uh, one carrier I know who uh, was co close to safety jail uh, two years ago based on form and manner, got ELD, trained his drivers on how to use it. It's working effectively. Not only are they not uh, getting uh, stopped at the, at the scales, uh, but uh, uh, they never have to worry about keeping up with the paper log again. Over the past two years, unsafe driving scores have gone from uh, the 70s and 80s uh, to being not rated. By not rating, I mean even though there are 11 or 12 trucks involved, once they stop at the scales and see that they've got the ELDs, they just wave them through. So, uh, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I, I think that the allergic reaction to ELDs is, uh, is probably misplaced. I do think this, though. I think that the ELDs, because there's no way to flex it, are going to put a real crimp on uh, on on productivity. I think there's probably nobody right. on the on the line who, uh, if he ran out of hours, uh, two hours from home on Friday night, didn't take some coffee and go on home. So you know, I think in a way, what we're raging about is they've got a better enforcement tool, and uh, uh, you know, it, it, it may be harder to cheat. One thing that I do think is going to happen is the way to catch uh, people cheating is no longer going to be roadside examination of, uh, of, uh, 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 of paper logs. It's going to be an audit conducted at the uh, principal place of business of the carrier to see if there are drop miles, uh, to see if the uh, ELDs have been edited, uh, to see if there's been a more proactive uh, effort by management to to uh, to hide the boo-boo, so to speak. Uh, so I think uh, you know uh, there'll be people who uh, who will say, well, I got this ELD and I'm still not going to get caught because the engine doesn't turn off, that, uh, uh, you know, the agency's still going to have the problem of, of, of people that, that come on home to Birmingham on Friday on Friday night. I just think the battleground will change. Right, right, right. Well, I, I think it looks like we got someone that has a question up with us. Uh, I think Mr. Freddie Waters has a question. He wants to get in with us. Uh, we'll go ahead and bring Freddie on and see if we can help him out. Hey Freddie, listen, buddy. I have uh, uh, I have been uh, I have been traveling. I hope uh, 
my office is still staying behind those guys for you. Let's see if we can bring them up on board. I think we're working to try to get Freddie on with us now. A little bit of a technical glitch tonight, ladies and gentlemen, so just bear with us. I don't have my Hello? laptop, so I'm, I'm unable to see. Hey, Freddie, there he is. <coughs> yeah, Ken, Freddie, I was just saying I've been out of town. I don't know whether my office has got an answer to your to your problem uh, on those owner-operator settlements. Uh, you want to bring us up to date on that, or you got another question? Uh, well, that's the main one. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of disheartening, but uh, I, uh, uh, you know, put in all that work, and then I, I'm kind of stuck, so to speak. So. And um, I, I was able to talk with the owner, and he's saying that they're 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 going to file personal bankruptcy, and that he's hoping the personal he's hoping the investor would cover those uh, owner operators that didn't get paid. Well, he doesn't. You know, I guess the question is, if he's a friendly, get him to respond. Uh, I mean, the last that I know is yeah. he's just a, a ring no answer. If you can if yeah. you can talk to him, then. And then get him to, I guess, the, quote, investor, if the investor is buying an interest in the company, then the company's still liable for the debts, and the investor will have to pay them. Uh, uh, I you know, tried to talk to them, but I didn't get any response from them either. Yeah, as you know, I got a conflict yeah. with that investor, but I yeah. didn't handle the acquisition. Uh, there's one or two ways to do this, and for the people that are listening in, this may be a teachable moment. Uh, uh, Freddie's entitled to owner-operator settlements under an owner-operator agreement, but uh, uh, the company is uh, uh, unable to pay its bills, and we understand that they, they're, they're trying to sell the business or have sold the business. You can sell a business in one or two ways. Uh, if you sell the corporate stock, then the new investor still has the corporate obligations to pay all the debts. Very frequently when somebody gets in distress, the, quote, investor will come in and just buy assets. He'll buy, uh, you know, maybe some beat-up trucks, maybe the, uh, the contracts, the customer list, and other things. So he buys the assets but not the liabilities. Uh, what we can do in that situation is, the uh, the guy declaring bankruptcy may actually have cut himself a sweetheart consulting agreement and recast the uh, uh, the the company so that it looks like he's bankrupt but he's getting all the juice out of it and you know uh, we're going to try to chase this one for Freddie but that's that's part of the issue the truth in leasing regulations require these people. To uh, you know, to pay you on 15 days, uh, and to make final settlements within 45, and you know, it, it behooves you not to uh, let them get past that 15 days with uh, uh, out looking at it. Particularly if you think you're leased on to someone who's having in financial distress, uh, you've got rights as owner operators to uh, to be paid uh, in, under better payment terms than exist uh, if you were getting money from a broker, but uh, that doesn't do you any good if you don't get in there and, and press for it. 
So uh, that, that's right. kind of a little, little, little side information. Uh, the other thing is, I'll, I'll say this, the truth in leasing regulations serve a very useful purpose. Uh, I can't tell you how many people uh, have signed on with folks that don't even have a complying lease uh, and uh, uh, how many bad deals there are out here for lease-to-own equipment. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to uh, shortchange people from doing business with small carriers, but, you know, reputation goes goes a long way uh, uh, in that kind of industry. So check out whoever you're leasing on to on the front end. Yeah. Right. Very good. Well, right, Freddie, uh, you. Have got anything evening. else for us tonight? I think that's it. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good evening. Okay. All right. We appreciate it, Freddie. And like you said, Hank, I, I appreciate that. Uh, um, you know, that you guys are on top of the on top of that one for Freddie, and that you know, hopefully everything turns out better. And and like you were saying, that's really a teachable moment for everybody listening in that, you know, we got to make sure that we're on top of our game and that we're making sure. I was telling someone earlier this week that was asking me about becoming a lease. Uh, they're thinking about doing a lease, a lease purchase. And I was just trying to make them understand, and maybe you can speak to this as well, that, you know, kind of the way that I see things is that, is that the United States is set up for, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like two different societies in a, in a, in a way. I, I look at it as, you got consumer, you you got your regular everyday Joe consumer and you have people that are advocates for that. But I but once you make the, the, the jump into the threshold of business that you decide that you are going to become a business, then it's kinda your own uh you have to kind of become your own advocate and start fighting for yourself and making sure that you are doing everything that you possibly can to vet situations because now you are not just a consumer, you are a business owner. And you should know better. Um, and, and anything you maybe can words of wisdom that you can impart on that as well. Yeah, well, I don't know that it's words of wisdom, but I, I, I certainly agree that uh, uh, my view of America is decidedly different. I think from uh, uh, some of the trends you hear now from uh, Bernie and some other folks. Uh, I don't think that anyone who uh, who wants to succeed financially uh, uh, wants a welfare state. I think they figure that, you know, small businesses are job generators and that ultimately government ought to stay off of our back and let people use not only hard work but uh, 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 saving and good business judgments uh, to grow and prosper. And I think that's the reason that we're not trying to build a wall to keep the Mexicans in. Uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we have always been uh, a, a land of opportunity, but the opportunity involves some risk. And not, clearly not everybody is, is cut out to, to run a business. But if somebody tells you right. you have to be Wall Street to be successful in trucking, I don't think they know Mr. Hunt's roots. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been in this long enough to uh, have supported a whole lot of guys who had one truck and a dream and now have four or five hundred. And uh, I can't think of any of them that have uh, uh, Ivy League MBAs. 
so uh, you know, I, I think that uh, if a guy is is ready to learn and uh, uh, you know watches for the pitfalls, uh, hopefully that's still uh, a way that you know a blue collar entrepreneur can take care of his family and uh, employ the other people in his small town and. I don't think we wanted to get it down like the railroads when there are four or five big carriers, and if you want to be a railroad engineer, that's who you work for. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm a supporter of the of the of the small business platform. In that regard, I'll say this: if you, if anybody takes the time and you can go to the FMCSA website and read the comments, you'll see that the Small Business Administration, and what is really pretty unusual, made a filing of comments that said that the FMCSA basically ought to get off the back of small carriers. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're really taking an interest in uh, trying to protect the independent contractor model and particularly the, uh, the model that gives small carriers a chance to compete on a level playing field with the large carriers. So, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you say but it is it is a a risky and a business that I think calls for some. Uh, you got to be willing to educate yourself. You know, uh, I, I knew a uh, I knew a smart man one time who told me he said, you know, I want to make I want to make a little money every while every t- every time the wheel turns. He says, you know, if I start hauling if I start hauling cheap freight, I'll be on the highway to hell. And you know, I think some of that, uh, uh, some of that business savvy uh, is probably innate, and some of it is some of it is trained. Uh, I think one of the our concerns is that people in, I guess I say the next generation. I don't know whether they call them millennials or what, but the ones that have uh, uh, basically graduated from college uh, or high school in the last ten years. Uh, have come up in an America where uh, entrepreneurship is not encouraged, and maybe they're getting out of school and looking for looking for a fat job that's that's uh, nine to five with every weekend off. And you know, if that's if that's the lifestyle you want, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with it. But uh, don't get uh, don't get into trying to run a small carrier on those on those terms. Uh, it, it's just uh, a, a different kind of lifestyle. Please don't. And and for those people that uh, before you get into uh, any type of lease or lease purchase, once again, uh, it's kind of been a little little while, and I, I know the new book is, is uh, on the way. But definitely check out Hank's book, Protecting Motor Carriage Interest in Contracts. Uh, it goes yeah, into uh, much we're, more than. We're, we're, Freddie, uh, 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 Rico, we, the book is, uh, uh, I think I'm getting closer to the date. I think it will be out uh, hopefully within the next month. Uh, anyone who's uh, who's interested in getting an early copy, you can email me at H-E-Seton, S-E-A-T-O-N, at A-O-L. Uh, I hope it's going to be, uh, uh, well, I know it's going to be in a readable form, and it will address... Uh, Issues like the independent contractor agreement, what needs to be in it, what you need to watch out for, 
anybody that buys cargo insurance and needs to know about those loopholes, that'll be in there. And there'll be an expanded section on collecting freight charges when you don't get paid. Good deal, good deal. Um, so, Hank, uh, also wanted to try to touch on a little bit of, uh, you said you had some, some, uh, some situations, some stories that you could share with us about some stuff that's been going on as far as with some, with some hijack loads and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it's the time of the year, but it kind of tends to run in cycles in terms of the one I see. But it, for a long time, has been a uh, a, a, a systemic problem. Uh, it's called uh, identity theft, uh, where uh, somebody will post a, a load on the on the a broker, post a load on the board, and a guy will call up and say. I'm Jim Palmer Trucking. I'll take that load. So they check out Jim Palmer, and the voice at the end of the uh, phone says, well, I'll fax you their insurance, and they fax over what looks like an insurance. And Jim Palmer, of course, has got 50 trucks, and he checks out all right. So they give him the load, and lo and behold, some thief goes in and picks it up, and they never see the cargo again. From the broker's side, what happens is, they're sitting here with egg all over their face. They think they did what they were supposed to to check out uh, Jim Palmer trucking, but they never suspected that uh, Palmer had, uh, identity had been stolen. And uh, there's an outfit called Cargo Watch. Uh, theft is systemic, and a lot of it is this theft by fraud. Well, I've been seeing something in the past couple of weeks. I've had... Uh, three brokers call me with these kinds of situations, and they're getting to be really uh, uh, sophisticated scams. For a long time, there were just a nest of them uh, out in L.A., but now it seems to be more widespread. Uh, one that we're working on with a guy today uh, here in Nashville, uh, they brokered a load from Pico uh, coming back this way, and the, the product wasn't even anything you you would think it's particularly sensible. It was uh, work gloves. But lo and behold, uh, uh, someone had gone in to the FMCSA website and changed the telephone number of a small carrier. So when they went to wow. verify, when they went to verify that this uh, four truck Charlie existed, they piped up the FMCSA website and called the number that was there and gave the load to somebody only to find out later that somehow uh, this crook had gotten the PIN number and changed the phone number on the agency's website. And I thought, my God, I thought we had gotten well past that. I thought there were sufficient barriers to keep people from basically hacking into the website and changing the, uh, the phone number because that leaves the broker world uh, with how in the hell do you have a transactional load unless you can, uh, uh, you know, go to that website and, 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 and be sure you're dealing with the real guy. And I think the take-home for this is as follows. I, I've said it before, but if any of you guys are picking up freight, you be sure when you get there that the bill of lading has got your name on it 
and you put your name on it as the carrier in possession and control. Because I'm telling the, the broker community, I don't care what's on the FMCSA website. Uh, if, if you hire Jim Palmer Trucking, then you need to tell your shipper that if Jim Palmer doesn't come in on the side of the truck, ET phone home before you give him the load. And so I was giving that advice to these people today, and they said, well, you know, funny thing about it, the guy that picked up the load had a uh, cardboard sign covering up the real name, and it had the name of... <laughs> so, I mean, you know, they're one step ahead of that. They went in, they went in. you know, I think the guy's name, it was a Hispanic name. Let's just say it was Sanchez Trucking. They they carried the scheme out far enough to put a cardboard sign that said Sanchez Trucking with their docket number on it. So, uh, you I know, we you got what, it. We uh, got funny it. thing happened to me, and I've I seen that we got someone else that has a question. Um, but I had received an email, actually, um, a couple of weeks back. A broker sent me an email, and there was a rate confirmation for a load. And uh, we haven't been, we haven't done any business with this broker in, in a little while, and we weren't under a load for them at the time. And uh, I said, well, at first I was just going to brush it off, and I said, nah, no, I better call and let these people know that so they don't be kind of looking or, or, you know, give us a bad name and say we, we lurched out on a load or something like that. And I called them, I just let them know that, hey, uh, don't know what exactly is going on, but you guys sent us over a rate confirmation. But, you know, we're not, uh, we haven't uh, contracted to do any we type of load, that load. guys. <laughs> and, and, right, right. And, and uh, you better find out what's going on with your load just to be just to be safe because I was aware that there's been some hijacking and stuff going on uh, here lately. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of a little funny little situation that I had happen to me uh, a couple of weeks back. And I think we well, got a you know, caller, Tyler, that... Yeah. Before you pick up the caller, you're, 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 you're smart to do that because we're telling the brokers, look, uh, you know, the guy may say he's Pete and may say he's an agent for Jim Palmer, but you send a copy of that load confirmation to Jim Palmer because you don't want him saying it was unauthorized load. And if it came across his transom and he didn't respond to it, then, you know, shame on him. So I think if, uh, uh, that's another good take home. If anybody gets a, a confirmation in for a load you didn't book, you need to, uh, uh, you know, if it comes by email, send him back an email, say, call me, this isn't my load or something. And one more thing right before we get to, to the caller as well. Now, I had some instances when I booked the load through a broker and the broker will tell you to check in as such and such transport or something. You know, either the broker may have a, a trucking company or something like that, and they're they're kind of requiring you in order to get the load that you need to check in as a company other than the company that you, other than your company. Um, any advice on that situation? Yeah, you're breaking the law when you do it. You're breaking the law when you do it. As a result of MAP 21, uh, a, uh, an, inter an intermediary on a truckload shipment is required to disclose his role as a broker to both the shipper and the carrier. So when he tells you to go in as uh, Joe Jones Trucking, you need to smell a rat. Obviously, 
he's probably got a deal with the shipper that's got a contract that says no double brokering. And he may be now, trying to fill up his I probably even got some rate confirmations. I've even seen this on some rate confirmations that gives you instructions to check in as such and such. So when that happens, if you, if, how do you report that particular broker, or, or is it worth the, you know, is, is, is that worth the fight? Well, I mean, you know, I think that, first of all, uh, there are a lot of, uh, I think scabby collection agencies that are going out when uh, their clients uh, uh, get defrauded and trying to go up the supply chain to the shipper or to the lead broker. And, uh, you know, I, although I'm a motor carrier advocate and spent my life trying to preserve recourse for uh, uh, small carriers to shippers when the brokers they hire don't pay, I won't take a collection case in which my client comes to me and said, I handled this load, but my name wasn't on the bill of lading because that ain't fair. I mean, if you, uh, if uh, Mr. Shipper and Mr. Lead Broker think they have brokered the load uh, to Rico's Trucking and the guy who comes in and signs the bill is Rico's Trucking, then he's part of a scheme to defraud the shipper and broker, and he's forfeited his opportunity to come in and say he's Freddie Waters and try to sue him. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when somebody says to come in and sign as as, as somebody you aren't, uh, first of all, you are surrendering, I think, your ability to go to the shipper. You're probably committing a fraud because you're misrepresenting that you're an owner-operator under lease to the guy, and you're probably frustrating your own cargo insurance because your cargo carrier is going to look at that bill of lading and say, uh, Freddie, I'm only insuring you for uh, uh, loads that you are named on the bill of lading as the carrier in possession, and this bill says that RICO was. So, you know, there are a whole lot of reasons that you've got to uh, – there's not much of the Bill of Lading Act left, but it does say uh, in, I think it's uh, maybe 373, that the carrier shall issue a receipt for the goods showing your name. And, my God, if you're the carrier, then your name ought to be on the Bill of Lading as a carrier, not somebody else. Now, I have heard the argument that – well, for billing purposes, uh, you know, it's our SCAT code, and we want to be sure that they identify it as us. But, you know, if that's the case, then uh, they ought to put on the bill of lading, note carrier to bill uh, Rico's broker for all freight charges and sign it Freddie Waters. So, uh, you know, I, I think that you ought to smell a rat uh, if they say this is just a dirty little secret you go in here and put down the name of some carrier you aren't. All right, all right, good enough. Well, let's go to Tyler. Let's see if we can get Tyler up and on board with us um, so we can get him in and get his question in. We got someone behind Tyler, so let us know when we got Tyler up and on board. Tyler, speak up. Yeah. yeah. All, all right, right. Okay. I can hear you. Tyler, go ahead. 
Okay, uh, my question on, was on a, uh, well, it, it literally just today here, I had a broker send me a contract, and it has to do with the cargo insurance, uh, and what it says exactly is, uh, uh, let me get to the start of the sentence here, uh, carrier in possession of property when loss, damage, injury, or delay occurred within one, oh, excuse me, that wasn't the beginning of it. Uh, basically, it said that uh, they have one year to notify the carrier in writing that there was a cargo loss claim, and then they have two and a half, two years, three months, and uh, I think it was two days to file suit against it if the carrier denies the claim. Is that legal? The broker told me it was transportation law that that was the the deal. That just seems like waiting a year and then getting a, a cargo claim and then Two years after that, getting a lawsuit, awfully drawn out. Okay, it is long, all long drawn out. Let me tell you why it's there. Uh, not that I would agree to it, but I'll tell you why it's there. Under existing law, a carrier can, by its rules tariff or by the bill of lading, provide a time of not less than nine months for the filing of a claim. And under the existing law, the uh, the uh, uh, claimant has two years and a day after the claim is denied to file the lawsuit. So already, uh, if you're if you're boogieing down the road, uh, you uh, you're stuck with having to wait nine months before you can say you won't receive the claim, and you're stuck with having to wait two years and a day after you deny the claim before you can say you can't file suit. Uh, that says that really about all you can do is when somebody files a claim on you, you need to respond with. Your claim is denied, but we will review it and reopen it when there's additional information because you need to start that statute running if it's going to be a contested claim by saying you deny it. Now, the reason that your broker wants this additional time is because he's probably told his shippers, you file the claim with me and I'll process it with the subcontracting carrier, and he doesn't want to have some shipper come in and file the claim uh, at the end of the nine months and uh, not be able to find or serve you with the claim. So he wants a little a little maneuvering room. Now, is three months too much? Yeah, I think so. Now, you know, the, 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 the 28 months that he wants, that's probably extreme too. But obviously he's put a little thought into it and doesn't want to get caught in the situation in which a timely claim is filed by uh, the the shipper with him, but then he's out of statute by the time he gets it to you. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, he let me go ahead and, and uh, strike that from the contract. Uh, that was one of the things we negotiated out when we signed the contract. But I was I just that seems awfully drawn out. But I just wasn't sure if that was legal or not. Well, it does. It is. It is long, awful drawn out. I mean, you know, for air freight, which is not regulated, uh, most carriers put in their tariff that you have to give them notice of claim in two weeks. So you know, we're uh, we're stuck with a statute 
that says that they got nine months to file the claim. And, uh, you know, again, uh, they're, uh, it's different whether it's land, sea, and air. If the same uh, loss occurred at sea, the, the lawsuit has to be filed within a year. And but when it happens on a truck, it's two years and a day after the claim is denied. So there, and that's one of the things that's in the book. Uh, the book got a section on these kind of inconsistent statutes and time limits. And you know, we talk a little bit about people who are draymen and uh, the different uh, the different kinds of uh, rules that apply to them that don't apply to over the road truckload carriers. There's even a a section in there uh, talking about uh, uh, the produce haulers, which are not regulated, and, uh, you know, some of this new uh, 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 Food Modernization Safety Act that's going to require uh, a whole bunch of different things on people that are transporting perishable commodities. So, you know, I guess as we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, small businessmen and getting into business, uh, it's going to be... There'll be a whole lot more statutes and regulations that uh, somebody getting into business in 2016 is going to have to comply with that weren't around 20 years ago. Thanks, Sam. I sure appreciate it. Sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Tyler. We'll put Tyler back on hold and let's grab Robert. We got Robert that has a question concerning cargo theft and how to prevent it. So. Uh, let's see if we can get Robert up on board with us. Robert, sound off when you're on the air with us. I'm here. Can you hear me? Sure can, Robert. Yes, sir. You're coming in loud and clear. Okay, yeah. What you were saying about the sign, uh, you know, checking to see if they have a sign on the truck when they pick up the load and all that, that helps, but it's not going to prevent it completely because there's sign shops all over the country. I could clone my truck to look like anybody's truck I want. Name, key number, everything. It's all on the side of somebody's truck. The only oh, I way think I think they're right. ever going to... I'm, I'm not trying to suggest it's perfect. I'll tell you what people do that have high value are theft, are theft goods. You know, I mean, some of the tire people and, you know, the Nike folks, uh, they they not only check the side of the door, but, uh, you know, they'll uh, take a copy of the guy's uh, uh, ID and, uh, yeah. and the VIN number on the truck. That's what I was going to say. The best bet is all shippers need to just get a cop, a photocopy of the driver's ID. Because even yeah. if that's and, I mean, faked, at least you got a picture of the guy that picked it up. Yeah, well, at in least this you case, got something. You know, this case that I was talking about, there was a doc camera, so we know what the dude looks like. But, uh, you know, having a picture of a guy isn't it. And with, uh, you know, TSA requirements, uh, you know, you've got known shipper requirements, and, you know, the driver is supposed to be vetted. Uh, you know, depending upon the circumstance, there are already additional credentialing requirements out there. Uh, right. You know, I guess the question is, what's, uh, you know, if I had a high-value, sensible item, I'd probably, as a shipper, be much more concerned about it than I would if I was shipping uh, uh uh, rubber work gloves, but hey, right. don't steal anything. Yes, they will. Anyway, that was my only what I wanted to suggest was checking the driver's I think, license. I think it's a good point. I think it's a good. That's point. a lot harder to fake. Yeah, and, but you know, ultimately, uh, I think that's the 
a shipper procedure they need to put in place. Uh, it'd be kind of hard for a broker to tell somebody, look, we can't guarantee that the guy we hire is going to come in, so you be sure and fingerprint him, you know. <laughs> that's a, right. that's a, little bit of a, it's a little bit of a uh, of a hard sell. But, you know, I'm suggesting to brokers that they put into contracts into the load confirmation sheet, uh, pick up to be made by uh, Rico's Express and, and ensure Rico executes bill of lading and name is uh, clearly marked on the truck. Because, I mean, uh, I, I think it's becoming so so prevalent that you just can't say, well, uh, we'll take the risk and not not do some kind of additional certification. Right. And I just had one quick question, and that's if you guys have any idea what the outlook on freight is, when it's going to start coming back. Fuel's back up 25% from what it was, and freight's still down. Um, well, my my thing on it, uh, Robert, is that you're starting to see um, now produce and everything is starting to come into full swing. You're starting to see a little bit of the freight levels leveling out. Um, the projections and stuff that I've been seeing and stuff that I've been reading from all the different uh, analysts from uh, all the different cross sections is saying that coming up here in this next quarter that things are supposed to be getting supposed to be looking a little bit better. Um, but that's kind of like uh, predicting the stock market as well. You, you know, um, it's <laughs> some people say it's, it's right around the corner. You know, they kind of always keep that carrot right there in front of you. To keep you kind, of, you know, keep hope alive. But uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, as us as small businessmen, the thing that we always try to advocate here is one way to try to help yourself to insulate yourself from the uh, volatility of dealing on the spot market is go and get those customers. Do whatever you can to go and get those customers. Um, you know, once you kind of get you get a, a few customers under your belt, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying, you know, go out and get 10, 20. Hell, if you can, if you can manage to get one solid customer uh, and service the hell out of that one customer and then, you know, and, and use spot market to get you back to your, back to your area that you need to get to uh, so that you can continue to servicing your customer, then, then by all means do that. But, but, you know, yeah. um, let, 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 let me, Rico, let me, let, let me put, oh, yeah. uh, uh, couple of thoughts in here. I've heard uh, three different economists uh, talk about the future of trucking in the past month and a half at different conferences, and I guess they kind of agree to disagree, but the, the, the primary thought is that usually in an election year, uh, the administration tries to bump up freight by encouraging it, but that this is going to be an unusual election year because People are just uh, uh, not impressed at all with the, the recovery. Uh, and while consumer spending still seems to, to be high, that, uh, you know, manufacturing output uh, is, uh, uh, is, is not where it should be. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, all we know is we're either going to have the, the, the same kind of economic outlook that we've got with Obama, or we're going to uh, we're going to have some, some real market upsetters. Uh, you know, uh, particularly if we uh, uh, people have gotten used to the cheap furniture 
and low prices based on imports, and if we uh, start uh, ending the free market economy worldwide, there are going to be some real cataclysmic changes. Uh, you know, I was sitting here saying uh, uh, two years ago that happy days were going to be here again because they weren't going to find anybody to drive trucks. There was going to be a shortage. The agency was uh, making it more difficult to get miles and get home, that rates would have to go up, and there would be a truck driver shortage. And look where that prediction left me. Uh, if right. anything, rates are, uh, 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 you know, we're not getting, uh, we're not recouping uh, for detention and all those kinds of things. I think the actual money to the truck uh, is uh, has plateaued. Uh, and uh, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, there's going to be a truck shortage and happy days are going to be here again. But uh, I think at best we're going to kind of muddle through. I mean, the Fed's been trying to right. increase rates for just quarter on top of quarter. Now it's so bad in Germany, you're having to pay the banks to to put your to, to keep your money, uh, and it, and it's about that way here. But you know they're halfway keeping the economy going based upon cheap money. And even with that, people are 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 are, are not making investments. They're parking it in banks because they're frightened about what's happening. So I don't, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not predicting. I'm not predicting happy days. I think it's just going to be kind of flat. Uh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess if you want to be a contrarian, you take my advice and do exactly the opposite and probably get rich because uh, my crystal ball is just pretty, <laughs> pretty screwed up. But I haven't found anybody of the gurus that have made these presentations that said, boy, happy days is here. A lot of them are actually frightened about uh, this whole uh, Amazon reorganization of uh, of distribution chains because you know for the past 30 years uh truckloads have been truckload industry has been wonderful uh because uh, you get one man one truck and he goes from a factory to a production center uh and that's been the backbone of what we've been doing just in time inventory well just in time's gone to hell because no, no driver can guarantee just in time with the hours of service, yet Amazon's figured out how to make next day delivery, and if we don't watch out, they're going to be using Uber to do it. So, you know, that whole, that whole right. idea of how stuff gets where it's going is changing. This fulfillment idea is, 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 uh, is, is changing uh, uh, the relationship. It looks like, you know, the FedEx and UPS and Uber are – getting more of the lion's share of the freight than the good old truckload boys. And, you know, I was, right. at, I was, at, a, I was at a damn thing. You wouldn't believe it. Last week in Phoenix, it was the expedited folks uh, that uh, do, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of the forward air, those kinds of people, the air freight industry. And they had a whole seminar on the drones. And, you know, people are actually saying, that they're going to be drones flying stuff to to, to doorsteps. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, they, uh, did, they did that on a special on 60 Minutes about that, ain't? Yeah, and, and trucks that drive themselves. I don't know. I'm old school. I can't see how that's going to work. 
but you know some of them are saying that that's that's gonna that's gonna be here in 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 four or five years and that they'll end up platooning trucks down the road uh driverless trucks uh, you know uh what was that old uh, country song about we're going to have a convoy with all the drivers lined up. Well, now they're talking about it being a convoy of driverless trucks. So, gee, I don't right. know. Uh, right. And I, I've actually, to, to, to go on to that autonomous trucking thing, I don't think I've mentioned it here on the show, but I've kind of had a couple of private conversations. I've seen that one of the gentlemen that were uh, started Google is actually trying to create a um, – retrofit that will go on older trucks where you don't have to go out and buy new trucks to have the autonomous capability that you can go back and retrofit older trucks with the technology. It's it's something that they're working on right now in the the test phase. I think they were in like Las Vegas or something with the test phase of it right now as we speak. Hmm. Well, it, you know, I think if you look at if you played all the future stuff, if if you looked at all of that as being the imminent future, uh, and you weren't on your way out of trucking, you probably would. My guess is uh, uh, that you know, certainly not going to be in my lifetime that it's uh, uh, that that we're going to have truck trains all across country uh, being driven remote. Uh, you know, I think first thing happened is one of those things gets hacked into and the convoy plows through a school and they can't figure out why somebody's going to have some explaining to do. Right. Oh, that the Google car keeps wrecking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Robert, we appreciate the phone call. Right. Right, right. Well, Hank, we're getting, we're getting close to that part of the show where it's about time to wrap it up. Anything you want to leave, leave us with? Uh, how can people get in contact with you? No, yeah, my email is H is in Henry, E is in Edward, S-E-A-T-O-N, at A-O-L. If anybody's got any questions about whatever we talked about or uh, wants to get on the list for the book, uh, you know, uh, send me an email and uh, just mention that you were part of this podcast and uh, I'll try to respond to you and, and help you out. Okay. All right. We appreciate it. And once again, uh, he didn't he didn't give it give out his website, but you can always check out Hank's website, transportationlaw.net. That is transportationlaw.net. You can find uh, his contact information on there as well, and bunch loads and loads of good articles and good reading material for you there. And this has been the Race and Lanes podcast tonight. We have had a couple of little technical uh, food piles tonight, but we thank you guys for bearing with us, taking time out of your busy schedule to participate and listen in, and we appreciate uh, Kevin and Lisa Rutherford for helping us make this show possible and the entire Less Truck team. We want to thank everybody. God bless you. Good night. Be safe out there, everybody. Thanks, Hank. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.